Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Play on Words podcast from Big City Readers. It's me, Miss Beth, and I am so excited to dive into this new season, this new year, with so many incredible experts on the show, quick tips, and parents all across the globe asking their questions and hopefully getting a quick, easy, practical, and fun solution. This episode is with my friend, preschool director, teacher, and big city mom, Colleen Douglas. She is a wealth of knowledge in the admissions process for going to pick your daycare or preschool, and we have a great conversation talking about choosing the right preschool for you, what to ask on daycare tours, and so much more. I hope you love this episode as much as I loved recording it and feel like you are just hanging out with two of your friends getting some answers in this early childhood world. Make sure you hit subscribe so you do not miss all of the fun episodes coming up this season. And if you like the podcast, please rate and review it. It's how we can get this information and hopefully help to more families all over the globe. And as always, email me your questions and we will add them to our list to answer here on the podcast. Okay, I am here with my friend Colleen, who used to be a preschool director here in Chicago, but now is living elsewhere. And Colleen, I'll let you introduce yourself. You have so many things you've done. Hi. Hi. Um, this is so exciting. Um, uh, yeah, so I used to be a preschool director here in Chicago at Stepping Stones Nursery School, which is still my number one go Stepping Stones uh, play base child care. Um, and my family just recently moved to Portland, Oregon. So um, we are on the West Coast now just very recently. Um, but now I have found a beautiful, sweet little home-based uh, care program called the Portland Play Project, um, which if you're in Portland, I also highly recommend. It's so tiny, but so sweet. Um, I have been in the early childhood field for over 20 years. Um, some like assistant teaching and teaching and admin and coaching. Um, and now my role right now is mentor teacher, which is something I really like because I'm in the classroom, but I'm also supporting new teachers. Amazing. Um, yeah. And I'm not telling people what to do. I'm just like helping them, which is uh, maybe the right balance for me. Yeah. Uh, so that's a little bit about me. Um, I think that sums it up appropriate for this. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. I, I always am like, how do I, cause I could talk for like 20 minutes about every person that I have. And I'm like, I'll just have them say what they want to share. And then in the questions, I'll ask a thousand things. Sure. So that your role actually sounds like my dream role too. Sometimes I do like professional development with schools. And my favorite thing is to go into the classroom and like observe a class and then say, oh, here's some things that might make it easier. And so I get to be with the kids and the teacher. And also it's like, take it or leave it. Not like this is what you need to do differently, but kind of just get to like be that support. Schools who can, um, 
who have the resources to support a person responsible for supporting teachers. That was a really complicated way to say like, when schools have the resources to hire someone whose job it is, is to be a peer support or maybe not a peer, maybe like a coach support who is not the direct supervisor of the teachers. That is a really special and rare um, thing to find. Um, the resources are just so, are lacking across the board. So, I mean, I wouldn't, um, I would not consider a school if they didn't have that, but like what a gift. Yes. Um, and Vicki at Stepping Stones was able to find the resources for that. And so I was really grateful um, to her to support the teachers in that way, whether it's me or, or somebody else to have someone come in, do classroom observations and not be a supervisor. Um, it was really powerful. Um, and the goal was to help teachers stay. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's such a good, that's, that's what we're talking about today is like what to look for when you're going to daycares or schools and like how to like navigate finding the right questions to ask. But that is something that's really important to me too, because I think, well, obviously we want the well being of the teachers that are caring for our kids to be supported and like for, for a teacher to not have to question like, who do I ask? And will I be in trouble for not knowing this? But just to have someone that's just like undeniably has their back is huge. Yeah. And a lot of times they know the answer. They just need a soundboard. They just need somebody to be like, yeah, have you thought about it this way? And teachers have toolboxes of resources, but they're also juggling so many things that sometimes just having somebody who is like, all right, let's just zero in on this one problem that we can solve together. Yes. Um, yeah. So I think when you're thinking about schools, you know, turnover is a big conversation that we have in early childhood. And unfortunately, it is something that's pretty common across the board. I wouldn't solely make your decision based on like turnover numbers, but I would try to investigate what how are the administrative staff being intentional about mm. supporting their teachers? And I would, when I think about that, I think about, yes, their, their well-being. Um, so like what benefits and things are in place for teachers? Um, how do they, how do they deal with burnout and things like that? But then also their access to resources and like that planning time and time to talk with a mentor or a peer, setting up peer-to-peer, -peer, like protected time for teachers to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. um, I always like to take that as a director, as a former director. I was always, we do have high turnover, but here's all the things that we're doing to like really try to keep it low. Mm -hmm. And so I think coming at it from that angle is maybe more productive. Did did you find people yeah. asked about turnover when they were like touring a lot or you just, yeah. they did? Yeah. Why? I think it, I think, why, why do you think that parents, I'm just like thinking of parents listening to this and like, I'm imagining some parents being like, I didn't even think about asking about turnover. Like what, why do you think some people want to know that? I hear stories from other parents about like, you know, we had this teacher for a while and they left or, mm -hmm. um, I remember like, just to be totally vulnerable, like 
my son was in our preschool class and all three teachers left at, in the summer. And it was like, you know, one of them was going to get their master's. It was some, for some of them, it was just like, you know, early childhood teaching was a stepping stone for them. Right. And they were, um, or they discovered they really liked it and wanted to go back to school. Mm -hmm. um, for some, you know, it, there wasn't enough money in it and they weren't able to make ends meet. And for some, you know, they it wasn't the vibe they were looking for. So I think for all different reasons, but I had to really sit down with parents who were upset mm -hmm. and say like, hey, here's what we're gonna do to make sure this transition is as like compassionate and thoughtful and considerate for to the kids. And those relationships. And so if you have a parent who's upset about that and they're talking to other parents, I, I I imagine that's what happens, right? You know, yeah. You know, that just reminded me of like of something that it doesn't matter. So it, it's that question is important, sure, to ask. But what we're really after is what like in anything with like parent-child relationships or adult-to-adult -adult relationships, the repair, what does repair look like? So what maybe a like better or more get to the point question might be less like what's turnover like and more like what is the process if a teacher leaves or how will, like what we're really asking is how will we be taken care of? Um, and like, do you see me? Kind of like the same thing as if a kid's like throwing a fit, it's like they're really asking, do you see me? And so just addressing the behavior isn't really getting to the root of it. So maybe that, that kind of like related when we're thinking about like, okay, that question might just be one thing, but that actually doesn't get us the answer that we're looking for. What we're really asking is like, will I be taken care of if there's a problem or will my kid be taken care of in this? And will there be transparency? Like, will I be communicated mm. with? Don't try to hide, don't be so embarrassed about the turnover that you don't honor and respect the parents as part of that process, right? So what does parent communication look like? I think would be one of my most important questions that I would ask if I was touring as a parent, like how am, what are the platforms you use to communicate with parents? What are key um, like topics and things that you feel are important to share with parents? How are parents involved? Mm. Um, I think those are, those are questions that should be easily answered during a tour. Um, and you know what, my kid is in kindergarten now, as you know, and I went from like a hundred percent involved to being like, what is happening in any given day? And it happens in kindergarten, right? So like, now's your chance to like be in the mix. Um, yeah. preschools are pretty on board with this, like be in it. Yeah. Can't be, if you're like, listen, I need to be at a school where I drop my kid off. I know they're safe. I pick them up and I got to go, then um, knowing what you're signing up for. My school right now, at, at Stepping Stones, it was a mix, right? My school right now, you got to be involved. There's mm -hmm. probably a couple of messages each month about like, hey, can you come sew this thing for us? Or can you help us set up this tent? Or we're going to have our solstice party. Um, it's a not an option to drop off and run. Um, so that's something to know about yourself and what you want to get out of a school um, as well. 
Uh, that's such a good reminder. Like, well, again, everything comes back to the same principles, right? So like, I feel like when people, when parents ask about like, how do I deal with a kid like this? And the first thing is to like regulate yourself. So like, how do I know how to find the right school for me? The first thing is, what do you want? Like, what do you actually want? Do you want to be involved? Or do you think that you should be involved? Like what actually works for your schedule? So kind of navigating and figuring that out first before going into the tours. Yeah. Is, that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, hundred percent. And then no matter how involved you want to be, I think that communication piece is important no matter what. So yes, um, I think like schools that are confident in their methods and their approach and their support for teachers are going to share all mm-hmm. um, appropriately, but like, um, I was delighted when parents had questions for me about why we were doing something a certain way or what was happening in the classroom or how it connected to learning because that's like my whole thing. That's what I want to talk about all day. And so when I'm in a school and they want to talk about what they're doing and they want to have that transparency because they're so proud of what they're doing, like that's a real like green flag for me. Like, um, there's a lot of buzzwords out there, I think. Um, Ooh, yeah, can you tell, can you name some of them? Well, Reggio, which is my like little heart and soul approach. Um, Montessori, Waldorf. Um, I would say Montessori got like real big for a while and and kind of um, diluted. And Agree. I, and so, in, in now like play-based is becoming more of a term And I would say, like, from my background, I am a play-based educator at heart, and I'm inspired by Reggio Amelia. I'm also inspired by, there are certain aspects of other um, approaches that inspire me, and that's why I like to stick to just a Mm play-based category. For me, what that means, if someone's saying they're a play-based school, that means that they believe in free and open play for kids with minimal direct instruction from the grownups in the room. So um, when you think about it in terms of Reggio Emilia, that is an approach from Reggio Emilia, Italy, where the community came together and created a school um, for the children. And some of the pillars of the foundation of that approach is that number one, um, the teachers were researchers and educate, and they were learners, right? And so they were observing the children to learn from the children, what the children were interested in, what were their play patterns, what um, materials are they drawn to? And then they were developing their lessons, quote unquote, based on their observations of the children. And the lessons looked more like curating an environment and less like sitting everybody down and, and, doing an like instruction right so um reggio also says environment as the third teacher meaning like your your grown-ups and your family are your first educators right your your parents or your grandparents whoever those influences are then your teachers and and then your environment is also an educator so in my schools it's all about curating an environment that sparks curiosity and so i'm not just saying do whatever you want I have set up the environment to invite you into play. And I've done that based on what I've observed that you're interested in. 
And also what I've just observed in like your cultural surroundings, like my kids aren't like, I want to paint with ice tomorrow, but it's icy out there. I know that that's a part of their cultural experience. And so I'm going to bring that into our practice because I know that it's something in our surroundings, right? Um, and so I really like that idea of the teacher is a learner, the environment is a teacher, and the kids are the center of everything. Um, so for me, that's play-based. And that is something that's hard to wrap your head around when you think about kindergarten readiness, which is a big thing that people feel pressure. As a parent, you feel so much pressure to make sure yeah. that your child is ready for kindergarten. And I know I've heard you say this in the past. And what I believe is that like kindergarten will meet them where they're at and should mm -hmm. you know, meet them where they're at. And they are learning skills through play. Um, they're learning so many skills through play. And if you go on a tour and your tour guide, whoever that might be, is able to tell you exactly how those children are learning through play, ding, ding, like that's a good school. Yes. I feel like you just gave such a good definition. I feel like there's so much misinformation and so many people are like, oh, that school just plays or, or, or maybe the school is play-based and they don't know how to explain why they're play-based or, you know, there's just a lot of like misunderstanding or even like, you know, you could say something is Montessori inspired and it's not really Montessori. There's just like so many, so many things. So I feel like that was such a good piece of advice that is like, if you can, if they can say that it's this and tell you how, then that's great. Not like, not like you're quizzing them, but like, what does play-based mean? But like, to be like, oh, for example, and they can just go and pick up something in the classroom and be like, explain what you just did with the ice. Like that, those are the moments, those are the nuggets that are like the green flags. Yeah. And you might not be that still, you might still be like, that sounds a little woo-woo for me. That's not for our family. We really want a more academic slant to, or we know our kid is like super into like academic stuff and we're going to meet those needs. Then go into your tour knowing that, but maybe visit a couple schools with an open mind of being like, being able to descri describe your child's learning at home, the school should be able to help you know if it's a good fit. And if it's a really good school, they want the families to be a good fit more than they just want any family who could ever sign up. Yes, um, yes. That is such a good reminder. I've had- I like, Yeah, like, hey, I don't know if this is the right fit for my kid, but here's what I know about my kid. Always on the move. Um, flitting from thing to thing, loves building, um, or my kid's super into like letter sounds already and he's only three. Um, and so like working it out together, that would be yes. an ideal situation. I right? know. I'm like, I'm like, yes, but this is so, so true. Like I've had parents that are like, Hey, my four-year-old reads at a fifth grade reading level. Do you have any courses for him? And I'm like, well, maybe let's do an assessment and like, I can direct you from there, but probably not if like, they've already, if they've actually crossed all these things, which then they're like, what can you give me? And it's like, I can direct you towards something that is the right fit. And I think that is really a really good reminder that like, we don't want it to be the right, we, you don't want everything to be the right fit. Otherwise, you know, it's, you know, nothing will be sacred, but, um, I like that you said to say like, oh, they're bouncing off the walls or so you're not trying to just 
be like, my kid is perfect. Let me have a spot, but you want to find the right school. So being honest about like what your child is into and how they act and seeing how they respond instead of just like having a surprise, like, Oh yeah, they're really active. I didn't tell you. (laughs) And we have to sit still in that class. I also think like sit down as a partnership or whatever your family dynamic is and make sure that you're on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had families come to our school where like one parent was really drinking the Kool-Aid and the other parent was really feeling challenged by the approach and, you know, would feel frustrated. Um, and so um, I think before you go on a tour, just like sitting down with your parenting partner and figuring out what is important to each of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is a, is something like, uh, sometimes I assume that my husband's on board with all my big ideas, but it doesn't hurt to just double check. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a really good idea. And then Uh, The other big thing for me that maybe is or isn't important for your family, but like time outdoors, Mm. Uh, times in an urban environment, it can feel tricky, but like, I'll just talk about stepping stones all day. But like one of the things that drew me to stepping stones was that they valued and were intentional about outdoor play every day, Um, finding those green spaces in the city being intentional about their outdoor play space that they were allotted, which is small in the big city, right? Yeah. Um, but it's my belief that kids need that time outside and that kids really need connection to real natural materials. They're, they bring so much sensory input um, and there's such variety and patterns. Um, there's such great heavy work to be done outside, which helps kids regulate. Um, and there's so being in a big outdoor space just offers the opportunity for more. Yes. Yes, you can from the teacher, your body can be big. You can be loud. You can, um, you know, crash into things. And there's a lot more that can be allowed <laughs> in terms yeah. of safety and there's not so many rules um like indoors you know sometimes you got to be a little quieter indoors you've got to be careful the furniture and move more slowly use your walking feet when you're outside you can just say yes yeah um, that's so important for kids to hear yes yes you know my sister the other day I was laughing I was at her house and she just says she doesn't mean to say it like a phrase but I'm like that is should be like a name of a parenting book but when her kids start getting like a little too rowdy she just says basement behavior and then they go to the basement but she's not like no don't do that she's like that's basement behavior and so then they like because they there's more room for them to like be like move their bodies and there's less you know like tables to hit their heads up you know there's things like that so um I, I've been thinking about that like more opportunity to say yes not like don't do that with your body but do that with your body here or you know here's how you where you can do that safely it's really easy to put all of our attention into big behavior kiddos but also if you know that your kid is a child that seeks refuge and seeks quiet and you're feeling anxiety about putting them in a classroom environment, ask how, what 
are there options for my child when they need quiet or they need refuge? I always talk to my teachers about places for refuge in their classroom, whether that be like a little tented area, the quiet corner, um, a pillowed space, because classrooms can be big. And so, yeah, maybe you've got a big behavior kid and you need that outside time. And maybe you have a kid who needs refuge and you, so you need to check in on what can my child do if they need, you know, a space. Yeah. Is there a place for my child to take space? That's a great reminder. And I'm thinking of people listening to this that are like, oh, I don't, I'm embarrassed to ask that question. Or I don't want people to think I'm annoying on tours. Like you've given so many tours and worked with teachers and parents and you are a parent and you're a director like tell what what do you have to say about that well I mean I can only speak for myself I love it (laughs) I I love it so much like I'm giving a tour the school isn't gonna pick somebody to give a tour who doesn't love the school we're not dum-dums you know (laughs) I'm going to pick somebody who's like disgruntled or burnt out or frustrated to give the tour. <laughs> so, like, I'm going to give the tour and I want to talk to you about everything we're doing that is really cool. So I think, I mean, for me, I have so much to say that if I know exactly what the parents are wondering about, it helps me narrow the information that's most important for them. It's hard for me to say everything in a thoughtful way. And so if I know exactly what are the main, the key points that families are most interested in, that's so helpful for me. Mm. And if I'm given the tour, I should be able to speak to those things or say, hey, do you know who's the expert on this? so-and-so, and and I'm going to connect you to that person as a follow-up. So, you know, I, I, you're going to feel how you feel, but I would just say like the person giving the tour has been chosen (laughs) on purpose to be the most welcoming person. Yeah. You know, there's, that's like strength, you know, and if they're not doing that, Well, that that's true. Like if they're, if they're not, if they're not doing that, then what that could be a, not necessarily a red or green flag, but just awareness that's information. Okay. They didn't pick a person who is enjoying this. What other roles aren't, are people not enjoying here or, you know, just, just a little bit of evidence to collect. I, that, Um, that made me just think of, um, that you're like, I love talking about it. It's like, kind of like, everything has to be a mindset shift. Right. So I'm thinking about like, well, nobody's trying to stump you. Like everyone's trying to figure out if it's a good fit. If you just go into that, remember, remembering like they're interviewing me, I'm interviewing them. I'm not trying to impress them with all the questions I ask. Just like with your kid, you're not like, you're like, what color is that? Like, you're not hoping to stump them. You're like hoping to help them feel confident that and see that they are growing and they're sorting like same thing with this. Like everybody wants to talk. Everyone has the same goal to make your child and your family feel successful. So if your questions aren't going to offend somebody, 
if, if you remember, I'm just looking out for my kid and they're here because they care so much about other people's kids that they want to help me. And they want to help me figure this out. Like, just remind yourself that everyone here is on the same team. Everyone here has the same goal. Yeah. The other thing that is really striking to me when I'm as a parent and as an educator, I'm a big proponent for like natural, like muted color scheme Mm. in a play space. I don't want to be like having a seizure from like Crayola eight pack cartoon characters. This is a preference, right? And this, Mm -hmm. but this is also a preference that's rooted in like knowledge around like how a busy space can be dysregulating to kids. And I really like when children's work is the like bright and shiny part of the environment. So I think one thing about that Montessori does really well is there's natural materials, natural color schemes, muted palette. And I know there's like this joke about like the beige, sad kids. (laughs) I, there's color, but like I, you know, that was another big thing going from preschool to kindergarten. The kindergartens were all like the scalloped um, bulletin boards and the bright colors. And for me, it was so busy. It was really hard for me to imagine what was happening in the classroom and how my kid would focus on what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And I want to counter that by saying, I don't necessarily want to go on a tour and have the classroom not be messy from play. Mm -hmm. That's different to me. So a busy environment that the adult has created that busyness is a no-no for me. If if I'm on tour and the tour guide is like, oh, this classroom's a little messy. They've been hard at play. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The classroom should be a tiny bit chaotic and messy because of play. that is not a red flag for me if a classroom is messy, if it has play residue, we call it. Um, if there's play residue, if it's clear that children are allowed to bring materials from the dramatic play area to the block area to the library, and it's a bit of a mess, I mean, there there are opportunities for a reset. Um, and that just means that children are getting that yes from their teachers, right? Um, kids are messy. Yes. Um, so I, I want to, I just wanted to di- have that distinction of like messy yes. and outdoor is okay. Mm-hmm. I also think don't be discouraged if a director says, I cannot bring you through the school while the kids are in session. Um, I, I think that's okay. I think that that is a really intentional choice of not being disruptive. Um, at Stepping Stones, we were able to bring people through on a tour and not be in the kids' business because we had hallways and doors and observation windows. And at Portland Play Project, she only does after-hour tours because there's nowhere for a strange grown-up to be that isn't where the kids are. Um, that's a good reminder. But wouldn't be put off by that. That That's a thoughtful decision. And okay, you can that... things about play patterns, I think, in those cases. Oh, that's great. Um... So, okay. That, that just, when you said that about the mess, that, that always reminds me, I remember one time doing a parent workshop and somebody like asking about kindergarten readiness. And I remember answering 
but they were like, oh, my kid can't like still puts their shoes on the wrong feet. And yeah, we want them to eventually do that. But I would always say that like as a preschool, when I would teach preschool and kids would come in with their shoes on the wrong feet or a shirt inside out, that was not a red flag to me. That was like, oh, what a good parent. They were letting them explore their independence, letting them feel if it feels right. Wait, does it feel right to me? Not just correcting them, but that, that reminds me of like the classroom, like seeing the play residue, like seeing that kids are learning. That's, that's what that reminder is. Kids are learning here. It might look a little messy, but they're learning. Yeah. And, and I think that also, um, when I was a first year teacher, there's, there's so much pressure to like make your classroom, like the coolest classroom. And, and now I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I just actually just gave a presentation to the libraries the other day. And I was like, less, everything should be less. Like in this moment, I meant like, stop trying to plan a story time with 15 songs about snow. Like do twinkle, twinkle, little star, and then hum twinkle, twinkle, little star, and then sing twinkle, twinkle, little star. And don't say the word star and then sing it. Like you can teach so much more with so much less and actually have it be so much more meaningful. Like in that I was showing that like just doing one song, you can practice five different early literacy concepts, but I think there's so much we think like, oh, it should be like this fantastic show. And it should, my, my preschool theme should be, you know, I should have seven sensory stations that are all different every day. And, and kids one learn through repetition, but two, like, we just want to have like the right stimuli for them to explore on their own and play. And, and it should be less about like it looking cute and more about how they can use the space which is as hard as a teacher, I think, to like overcome because you think your bulletin boards are the most important thing. Yeah, totally. Yes. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, it's so hard. It's so hard to hear from you because your spaces are always so cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also think like a hundred percent the idea of being able to revisit and have the same thing over and over again is so important I don't know I think like as a parent coming in you could maybe say like what does planning look like for the classrooms or the teachers and I think be a hundred percent okay with like you know monthly big ideas where things are out and they kind of shift, but the same ideas are revisited over and over again. Um, it might be like a bi-weekly. Um, our lesson planning at all the schools, well, at my most recent like section of my career where I really leaned into play-based, it was a lot of really open-ended, like here are some materials we're gonna introduce into the space and see how they respond to them. And then maybe, you know, add something um to expand on the ideas that we're observing so um it, that's called emergent curriculum okay you don't have to ask about that necessarily but like for me I I was not really interested in finding um schools that had like a weekly theme where it changed so often and the theme yeah. was like Bears or something I would prefer a theme would maybe be like animals in the winter because where it's winter and then there's it's such a big umbrella that you could be like touching 
both for as a sensory input. You could be talking about, you know, make den building outside. You could be talking about connecting to your own clothes and sweaters and things that you do to adapt to cold winter. Um, to me, that's more meaningful like big idea than bears, <laughs> you know? I um, agree. Yes. And I've, and I've done for sure weekly themes because parents like, like to dress up for a theme and, you know, I've, I've been there, but it, actually from a developmental personal opinion, from a developmental standpoint, it just makes so much more sense to have it for longer, like a bigger concept for longer rather than like, okay, the rainforest and then moving on. It's, it's just like, it's yeah and the theme really is just a, a framework to invite them into play right so yeah. it isn't how many things can we teach them about bears it's like if I'm interested in animal habits what are the different ways I can learn about them through play is yes it, you know footprints in the snow is it like making my own den out of sticks? Is it um, using Play-Doh to represent my ideas? Um, and so those themes should be just such a loose, you know, there are going to be themes. You're going to walk into a school and there's going to be themes. Yeah. This is not a red flag, green flag thing. No, I don't think so. I'm really in, in my old age and moving <laughs> more. I just get more loose and more open. But mm -hmm. as a new teacher, it sometimes helps you focus in on things and that's okay but I I do think the important thing is like what does planning look like does it center the child yes uh, yes that you you said that before and that is like such a reminder people ask so often about curriculum or things like that and it's like are we teaching the curriculum or are we teaching the kids and are we setting uh, what is that what the the whether it's a daycare or a school what what does that actually look like? And I think like the major theme here is don't get swept up in like, oh, what's this curriculum or what is the theme or like actually ask the questions behind that. Like, oh, so what, what is that sensory been about? What, what are the goals here? And, and being, I think as a parent, you could say, you could be like, I'm learning about this. So I'm asking, cause I'm wanting to make sure that like, I'm doing the same things at home. And like, I want to learn from you too. Not just like explain to me why you chose to do an ice bin in the sensory bin, because I feel like my baby's hands are cold, you know, just like being like, Oh, too cool. Tell me more about why that is. Maybe we'll try that at home. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, I don't know. I like to talk about curriculum all day, but also, um, can you get to the school every day? It's probably the most important mm. That's probably the most important thing to think about when you're um, choosing a school because you're going to have to go there every day. Yes. There'll be days where like, I don't know, it's it's icy or whatever and it's going to be an early pickup or there's going to be some kind of weird thing. And I think like you, it can somebody else get there for you also? Like who yeah. how does this school create a network for you? Are there opportunities to connect with other parents? The parents that were the happiest at stepping stones showed up for that first play date mm -hmm. and made really good friends that were also their neighbors and they picked each other's kids up from school, you oh. know? Oh, that's amazing. So they're gonna get sick and you're gonna have to pick them up, you know, like yeah. Um, Logistically. 
yeah, rhythm. So that's good. Okay. So, I mean, there's so many things in this topic. Um, what, so, okay. On tours, we know, like, we got to figure out what, what matters to you now, let's say you picked a daycare and you're ready and how do you prep? Let's like, do you have any tips for parents on how to prep? Because mostly I've been talking to a lot of baby parents lately and they're like so worried about the transition and it's a lot, you know, about prepping themselves too for that. How would you, do you have any advice on how to prepare for the transition of starting somewhere new? Deep breath. Like (laughs) baby parents, number one, start practicing to feed from a bottle, um, there's so many babies come to us and they've never had any milk from a bottle. And that's such an intimate choice for a parent. But if your teacher is going to have to feed your child from a bottle, um, there's a process to warm up to that. Um, What we used to do, this is not perfect, but like when my son was an infant, my husband gave him one bottle a day and it was a moment where I got to sleep or whatever, but he, got used to taking a bottle. Um, so I would say number one, if you don't do that, then know that there may be a transition period where your child is cluster feeding at home and not getting a lot of nutrients at school. If you have flexibility, you might, you know, shorten the care day at the beginning and while they get used to it, um, you may, some schools have an open door policy where you can come in and, and breastfeed. Um, but I would say like that is a really stressful time for parents when their child is not eating at school. Mm-hmm. Again, nap time at school is something to get used to. It's weird to sleep at school. If your kids got FOMO, which a lot of them do, there are times when like your child is resting and other children are awake. So maybe on the tour, you're looking to see like, how's the classroom set up? Where are the cribs? Um, is there like a quieter, darker section of the classroom? How do you support babies who don't sleep? Um, and just know that that might be a transition period too. And if your teachers are number one, being open and honest with you about the sleeping patterns and letting you know what they're trying and honoring you as the expert of your child, mm-hmm. then even if it's taking time, they're doing all the right things, right? Um, what works for you at home might not work at school. Um, they will eat. They will eventually sleep at school. Sometimes it takes a little time. Um, and then I think like once you get like toddlers twos, it there's a lot of peer in like peer inspiration for sleeping and eating, and it it tends to go a lot better. Yeah. I also really appreciate schools that take infants outside. A lot of schools are afraid to do that. I really love that. Yeah. Um, you might not love that, <laughs> but. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm like, I, so I I don't know what I love. I, I have, I always am swinging in different things because sometimes I have such like a safety. I get so like stressed <laughs> that I'm like, when I see like daycares walking outside, sometimes I'm like, oh, like I saw a daycare the other day at the dog park and like there were like two-year-olds like with their hands inside the gate of the dog park. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> but but like I was like oh like they're probably fine but I'm like I kind of am a worrier where I'm like I'm like dogs are 
in they're loose in here. Like they could go up to the fence, which I know it was like a special thing. So I always am going back and forth on what I. And parents are too. Parents feel that way too. And so knowing how you feel about it, asking about like what the safety, like when you, we always would do, you know, we went to green spaces at Stepping Stones. We would walk to Palmer Square. We would walk yeah. to um, the uh, community gardens. And then, but we, every single teacher at that school could speak to how they were keeping kids safe and what the strategies were. And then as a parent, have that information, you can decide, right? Yeah, Um, that's a good, so that's a good thing. So like asking about safety strategies and how the, how the staff is trained. Yeah. And then when you're registered, like find out what does that look like that, how does it look like there's a play date? There's usually a play date, right? Uh So there's an opportunity for you to bring your child into the space and let them play with you in the space or um it is not enough time it's never yeah. enough right um I think they're they 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 average about 30 minutes or something where you're yeah. like child um but you know schools who don't even do that much I would be like oh I really want to spend some time see if you can spend some time in this space with your child most schools have a play date policy um so ask yeah ask even if they haven't mentioned it maybe they'll let you I would read the handbook to find out like what is the policy going to be if my kid's sick Mm -hmm. logistical things like that like what is there anything that is funny to me in this handbook like I don't know I mean I've lived through COVID now and I've lived like snow apocalypses and so many things um but I and then is there an opportunity, especially God, especially with infants, because the care routines are so based on the home care program and absolutely should be. If you have a school that's like, this is how we do it. Everybody takes a nap at this time and everybody eats at this time. I would be like, hmm, um, I, I really value schools that are like, hey, we want to sit down with you and talk about what the care routines are looking like at home. Mm-hmm. And- then that conversation is going to continue the entire time your infant is an infant in our care because those care routines change and morph and shift monthly. Yeah. Um, our infant teachers always had to be our most communicative teachers. Um, there are lots of platforms where you can track feeding and napping and things really easily. Mm-hmm. Right wheel, leapfrog, like different um virtual platforms some teachers use like a clipboard whatever they're using they should be really communicating those care routines with you so ask about that and and share when something changes at home yeah that that, you said something that was so I think interesting you said um teachers that honor that the that you are the primary caregiver I'm wondering about what to do, like if there, and I know we have to wrap up in a minute, but, um, what to do if there is like how to repair the relationship between like the, like if there is a tip or something between the parent and the teacher and, or like a power struggle or like this is what we're doing. And then, you know, this is what, no, I, I know what we're doing. You know, how do you, how do you suggest going about that? Um, so this is real life, right? Um, and in my time as a coach, I was facilitating a lot of these conversations. My number one piece of advice is schedule some FaceTime because it's very easy to misunderstand communication via tech, these text platforms and 
these message, you know, we were using Brightwell and Brightwell has this like text kind of format for messaging. And then the, the, you could have a feed with their things on it and you can make a comment and it's just so easy to misunderstand each other on something so personal. Mm. So I think like the second that we would all sit down and look at each other's faces and remember that we're just all humans who care about this kid, it was almost always fixed by sitting face to face. Yeah. Um, and then also just really remembering to speak to your own context. Um, so as a parent, just really prefacing everything with like, here's what's working at home. Um, I'm you mean as opposed to being like, you is- didn't do this in the classroom or yeah, just be like, here's what we're doing at home. in in just honor like how might this be tricky in a classroom setting classrooms are not the same Mm -hmm. (laughs) as their home they're busy and louder and there's more distractions disruptions there's one teacher for every four babies um so allow for each side to like give their perspective from their own context um, and then I always remind teachers, I know this is a project podcast for parents, but like, no teachers listen to, okay, this is their baby. Oh, There's yes. nothing that you're going to talk about. That isn't the most personal thing that they could ever feel like. And so like have some grace, <laughs> you know, that, you know, I think that's, that is uh, something that comes maybe with age an experience maybe like I remember my first year of teaching and there was a, a teacher friend of mine and we were you know both like 22 and she was opened an email from a parent that was like asking if she said like you know my daughter said that no one like talks to her at lunch is she like sitting alone and the teacher was like does she not know how many students I have like can you believe that she wants me to check on her at lunch and I was like yeah because this student was a fourth grader. And at the time I had a sister who was a fourth grader. And so I like being so much older than my sister kind of like had more of a thought like that, like, no, she's a baby. She's, she's my baby. Like she reminded me of my sister. I was like, I would die if I, if she told me that she didn't talk to anyone at lunch, like I would ask if I could go into the lunchroom and all these things. So I think it's, it's a good reminder for teachers listening to, to remember like that is somebody's everything. And so it's not personal about you and they're not, even if a parent might have a moment that is flawed and like blame or, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen like that, but it's, it's coming out of fear of protecting their everything. And validating that emotion without, being apologetic for your own strategies. If you feel like you're doing the right thing, you can validate how they're feeling about it. And, you know, I, I heard myself saying a thousand times, like, oh, I never want any parent to feel like their kid is not safe at school. Yeah. Here's, let me try to give you the most amount of information I can about what we're doing to make sure your child is safe. This happens a lot with biting. Uh, kids are going to get bit. Your child will get bit at school. And I never want you to feel like your kid is not safe at school. So if your child has been bit three times in a week and you're upset about it, of course you are. And I'm also really upset about it. Let me tell you everything I'm doing. Even if I know that this is age appropriate, let me tell you everything I'm doing to make sure 
to minimize, to mitigate that risk. Yeah. And then we can move forward, you know, like, um, both things are true. Yes. Yes. And that's, that comes back to like, nothing is going to be perfect. What you want to know is like, do you see me? Am I safe? Is this valid? And like, how are you going to help me repair? And the same with the teachers too. Like, I I always hear you saying like, for parents to come to the teachers and be like, oh, I know how crazy this week must've been with like everyone in their Halloween costumes, but here's Mm -hmm. something that happened to my kid and I I need some context. So like honoring and validating feelings and scenarios on both sides. But that's so important. Yes, write an email as a follow-up. It can be really scary to get face-to-face, but the second you do, even this, even this like video face-to-face reminds you that the other person is a person and it really helps. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I love that. Do you have any, um, final, uh, I know I told you this would be less than this. We're almost at an hour already, but every time I talk to you, that's how it goes. Uh, We have so much to talk about. What do you have any, and I, this is an extreme that I probably shouldn't say, but any real red flags or real green flags people should look for, or any parting, um, wisdom for teachers or parents in the daycare touring and deciding stage and transitioning stage. (laughs) It's kind of a lot. Um, I don't know. I just think like a red flag. I mean, I would just trust your instincts. If you're in a space and it doesn't feel right, um, you're not going to hurt anybody's feelings by not moving forward uh, with it. I think the red flags are so personal. I think most preschools are doing what they think is the best thing for kids. Um, I think most at every resource point at every, with every approach, the people who are running that school are doing what they think is right for kids. And you need to figure out if it's right for you. Um, really unhappy teachers, um, I think is a red flag, but that's a hard thing to gauge, um, with such little time. If you have an opportunity to talk to teachers, um, if you have an opportunity to really observe over time, it's a hard thing to gauge, but I think like not every teacher is going to be happy all the time. Um, but I think uh, schools have a responsibility to be supporting their teachers through resources and, and um, just like space for growth and um and then green flags for me green flag is play 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 is enough play is going to prepare your child for this with the skills that they need to move forward in schooling um it's magical and I would just ask in every tour like how do kids play here how often like how how do they play here and yes that That is a green flag for me too. And I know that you know that, but sometimes I'll be talking to people and they're like, well, we do play-based. Don't get mad. And I'm like, do you not know that I am (laughs) play-based? Like, I'm like, I'm going to teach you strategies, but play-based doesn't mean not instructional. Like that's what figure out 
also what the buzzwords mean that you're asking about, I would say is a thing to do before going on a tour, but that play base is, is so important to me. And also, um, I would say one of my green flags is, um, like universal, like if everyone, all of the teachers are getting the same thing, you know? So it's not like this is happening in this classroom, but this teacher does this kind of behavioral practice and this one does this, but just kind of, I think, I think that makes kids, kids and parents feel safe if they know what to expect. And they know it's not going to differ from classroom to class and, you know, things will differ, but like the behavior, the, the expectations are the same. And like, I know that the behavior management is going to be the same and it's going to be responsive consequences and not, you know, timeouts and, and things like that. You do like 10 podcasts. Is this I know. Yeah, this is why I started my podcast. Exactly. I know. Why are you like, should we do it next? Next one should be on behavior. <laughs> I'm like, I have so much to say about everything. Okay. But, um, thank you so much for including me in this. Thank you. Will you come back and talk about, um, that behavior stuff now that we left this cliffhanger? Yeah. Anything you want. It's so fun. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah.